Hey everybody, welcome to the third episode of the Rough Hewn Grace podcast. I just wanted to say thank you to everybody for being so supportive, everybody that's been listening. This episode is a deep dive into um, some of my personal history, and I just wanted to give a forewarning to anyone. This deals with a lot of trigger topics, um, sexual impurity, abortion, adoption, uh, sexual assault, sexual molestation. If any of these things trigger you, they are discussed um, some in more detail than others, but they are discussed in this podcast and I wanted to warn everybody ahead of time. It's kind of a longer podcast, runs about, I don't know, hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes. But uh, yeah, without further ado, we'll jump right in. Thanks again. Welcome to the Rough Hewn Grace podcast. I'm Meredith. And I'm Paul. So, um, in the format of just kind of asking questions um, to you, I think my first one is, when do you feel like uh, you trauma started? But not when do you feel like it started, but when did you feel like you have had to recover from where that trauma was affecting your life? Birth. (laughs) Because um, my whole story starts when I was given up for adoption. And that was trauma, even though I wasn't consciously, I don't know, aware of it. Although I had to have been. Babies do feel and understand things. So my earliest memories would have been traumatic. Um, I was given up by my birth mother. She was 19. She was unmarried. And I had two birth families chosen. She chose them. um, I was adopted through the cradle in Evanston, Illinois, and, you know, birth mothers have catalogs of people that they go through, and they're able to make stipulations of religion and even denomination, and so she had screened a bunch of families and chosen two, and I ended up with neither of them. Uh, I was very dark as a baby, very Asian-looking. And I don't know how much that played a role in it, but not every parent wanted a mixed-race baby. And so my parents were brand new. They still weren't done with all of the things that they needed to do in order to adopt a child. But they had indicated that they were willing to adopt a baby of mixed ethnicity. And so they were fast-tracked. And I don't mean that to say that the cradle skipped steps. They did not skip steps. The point is they, you know, were like, hey, social worker people, we need you to do this real fast because we've got a baby waiting and these parents need to get done. So they had all of their evaluations, home visits, uh, social workers, all of that um, was done. And then, you know, they, they got me. Um, But I was, I was already six weeks old when they got me, which Mm. if you know anything about early childhood, specifically early infancy, the the window for a baby to bond really well with its parents, whether adopted or natural, um, it kind of ends around the four-week mark. Maybe you could stretch it to the six-week mark, but I had none of that. And so 
Um, I know that it affected me because it was something that I felt always. I've always felt it. I just couldn't put a name to it until I was older. And I knew more about birth bonding. And um, I, I don't know. It's really hard to define, but I always knew that there was something missing. And now the lines are a little bit blurred, right? Because how much of that was me missing a birth bond and how much of that was just me needing Jesus? I don't know. Um, Because obviously I didn't have either for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, when I was very little, I was thrilled to have been adopted because my parents framed it in such a way that, you know, we got to choose you and we really wanted you. Um, the first time I remember it ever being something that bothered me was in first grade. There was a girl and I can't remember her name. Oh my gosh. I can see her face though. And we were standing on the playground and she said, where are your real parents? And I said, I mean, they're at work. She's like, no, no, your real parents, you know, the ones that you're related to. And I was like, I don't know, but my parents are at work. And she said, well, if your real parents had wanted you, you'd be with them. And in my head, being adopted went from this really cool thing that I was privileged to be a part of to I'm not wanted. And, you know, when you're seven, that kind of thinking is it's very black and white and cut and dry and my mind said you're not wanted and so I carried that um I mean what till I was 36 37 Hmm. it was a really long time that I carried that trauma around with me and I mean we can get into the process of that in a different episode but it was with me for a really long time and it colored a lot of things my relationship with my parents, my relationship with other people, um, my relationships with men specifically, uh, it colored everything because I really just wanted to feel wanted. So birth is when it started. Sorry, that was a really long answer. Well, when do you think that you noticed it consciously? where it was a struggle and kind of knowing that you're doing things as a result of this something but still do them um like when was i consciously aware of trauma affecting my behavior sure Ooh. uh i mean not until my 30s Mm. not until Probably not until like 2000, I don't know. It's been layers. It's It's been laid down in layers. I think that as the world as a whole has become more aware of trauma and what it does to you and your behavioral patterns, I've become more aware that I suffer from trauma. Um, there were things that were not related to my adoption that were traumatic in my life. I recognize those as trauma, but I mean, self-awareness has been something I've just been working on for my whole life. So 
I can't really pinpoint a date on it, but I would say my middle 30s, it became apparent to me that I have behavioral patterns associated with the traumas in my life. And I guess I didn't really think about it until I started seeing a therapist in Scottsdale and she said, have you ever considered that you suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder? And I was like, no, I haven't been in war. You know, I've never been shot at. But then she pointed out some things that I have been through. Um, And yeah, PTSD fits the bill and it fits the bill for some things that happened to me. And there are things that I still battle with, like uh, catastrophic images, uh, catastrophic thinking, where my brain will just like take a seemingly normal situation and all of a sudden in my head I see terrible things happening and automatically my brain leaps to okay, we have to prevent those terrible things from happening. It's full freak out mode, all hands on deck, sound the alarms. And it's it's not a pretty scene because I'm jumping to a conclusion of something that has not happened yet. Um, so I guess it was kind of pointed out to me then that, hey, you've got something going on here that is that is clinically seen in PTSD victims, we need to take a closer look. And so that's kind of when I started to dive into it, I guess. So maybe 35, Hmm. 34. How old was I when I had Wyatt? 36? Somewhere in there. I know. It feels like forever. How old is he again? (laughs) Six. Okay. So. I'll try to remember that for his next birthday. Right. I would say maybe five years ago, I became more aware. If that's helpful. Sure. So, what do you think is the um, what What are the big things that happened throughout your young adult that are really a result of that, or that you really still have a hard time processing? Mm. So. Being adopted is weird, but I feel like I've dealt with it at a fairly deep level. Uh, I was saying I was sexually molested in my youth feels strong because it was somebody that was my age. And so I I don't want to call it that because at that age, you don't know any better, but that did happen on, on several occasions. Um, And I didn't know that it was wrong at the time. And so it didn't, it's funny, it didn't really affect me at the time. But then later when I was older and I thought back, I thought that was wrong and that shouldn't have happened. And why wasn't I protected during that? And, you know, like you you think some of these, I always assumed that these were just part of being a kid and, um, that it was normal, but it certainly is not. Those things should not be happening. And it has definitely affected my life um, since then. Um, I Losing my virginity was kind of traumatic. Uh, I was like 16 and we got started and it didn't feel good. And I said, please stop. And he didn't. And 
after that, not only was it the traumatic experience, but now I'm used goods and who freaking cares? And I just, I'm, what am I worth anymore? It was a whole onslaught of bad. But I was seeking to fill whatever hole there was inside of me. I was like, I just need to feel fulfilled. And if somebody loves me, and this is how, you know, this is how you show love is with sex. And so, um, lots of sexual sin in my teens and my twenties. And I mean, beyond, um, trying to think, um, I was dating a guy in late high school. We ended up living together and I don't know, we smoked a lot of pot and he was really angry and we were drinking. It was not a good time in my life. And I distinctly remember one night we were fighting about something and he said, he threatened me. He threatened me. He was standing across the room in our tiny little studio apartment and he threatened me. And I said, bring it on mother effer. And he leapt across the room. He put his hands around my neck and he squeezed and he didn't stop until I was blacking out. Um, I'm not actually sure why he stopped. I'm glad he did. But I literally, I stayed with him for a while after that. And I just didn't even catalog that as like a traumatic event. It was just this thing that happened that I could have prevented, but instead I instigated it in my head like it was my fault. Like I could have stopped that from happening. Um, so he had his own trauma too. Like I'm not trying to call people out and, and say, oh, look at you, you're so awful. That's not it at all. Um, he had his own trauma. He had a heap of trauma that he was not processing. Um, so that was... That was 18. I ended up dropping out of college and very shortly going on vacation with my parents to Arizona. And I was like, screw it. I went horseback riding at a ranch. I decided to go work there. I wasn't going home with my parents. I was just done doing what was expected of me and living that life. So I ended up working on this ranch and um, like my second night there, I don't know, I wasn't there for very long. We all went out and got drunk and a guy got me drinks and then sexually assaulted me that evening. <laughs> like, um, I keep putting myself in these terrible positions, which I think is part of the trauma cycle. I don't know, but that was definitely traumatizing. And so... I went to a different part of the ranch and ended up dating somebody else. Again, with the sexual sin, it's just constant, like, trying to, I don't know what I was trying to do. Numb the pain? I don't know. But I end up dating a guy who's a, a pothead, and the next thing I know, we're, I mean, we're doing all sorts of drugs. I never did, I never experimented with needles, but, I mean, within that span of three or four years, I did basically everything else. Um... And it was just constantly like, what can I do that's going to make me feel better? Surely one of these crazy drugs out here is going to make me feel better. Ecstasy? No. Cocaine? No. Meth? No. No. Meth was terrible. Oh, it was really terrible. Um, pot always made me feel lazy and I hated that. So it really wasn't my thing. Um, but I mean, acid, shrooms, I tried it all. I just, 
And every time it was like worse. And then, um, then when I was 19, I don't know, I was doing drugs and hooking up with guys and I got pregnant and every person that I talked to, and it wasn't very many people said that I should have an abortion and I hadn't learned much about abortion. I didn't know how it was done, except that you went in pregnant, you came out not pregnant, and everybody did it, and it's not that big of a deal. And, you know, I've had three, and it was great because I didn't have my life messed up by a baby. It was just, I was afraid. I didn't know whose it was. I had been on drugs, and everybody said, well, your baby's going to be messed up because, you know, you were high when you got pregnant. And I was just like, okay, sure. Yep, I'm going to do it. It'll never happen again because I'll be careful in the future. And it, I guess I treated it like a get-out-of-jail-free card and Monopoly. Hmm. You are how old again? 19. I was the same age my birth mother was when she got pregnant with me. Hmm. And I was so afraid because I couldn't pay my bills. I was barely surviving. I was not responsible and I was just, I was terrified. Um, and that was really traumatic for me that almost ended my life. I don't remember the doctor's office. I don't remember, I know it was in Scottsdale. I don't know how far along I was. I mean, I wasn't very far along, maybe 10 or 12 weeks, I guess. But in my head, and because people told me, they're like, it's just a clump of cells. But it's not just a clump of cells that has a beating heart. At 12 weeks, it has a beating heart. Much, Actually, much earlier than that, it has a beating heart. Um, so, yeah. I murdered my baby. I think that's probably the most traumatic thing. Everything else feels really petty. Even getting choked out, even being um, mentally controlled and emotionally abused and sometimes physically abused by my, by Kaylin's uh, birth father, who, by the way, please don't vilify him. I'm on very good, friendly terms with him now and we're, we're friends and it's good, but the abortion was almost my undoing. And so everything else fell apart. I stopped going to work, and I just wanted to come home. I was supposed to wait in Arizona. Angie was going to come out and go to school there, and I was going to be there, and I just emotionally collapsed and had to come home. Um, and I mean, I didn't even talk about it with my parents. Like, that wasn't the reason I said I was coming home. I just had to go home. How long was it before you really... I know you didn't get over it, but... How long was it before you kind of moved on? Um, well, so when I came home, I went back to my high school and I spoke to who was my favorite teacher of all time. Um, and he was my apologetics teacher. He was just an awesome guy. I don't want to name names because I don't know that anybody <laughs> wants their name shouted out on this podcast, but he saved my life. 
I went in and I talked to him and I mean, I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about things in terms of sexual sin. I was just thinking about the fact that I killed a living being. And he said, so it's not just the abortion. I mean, you've been, you've been deep in sexual sin too. And I said, yep, all of it. It's been awful. And he wasn't judgmental and he wasn't unkind and he was just very gracious and forgiving. And he, I, he offered me something I hadn't gotten yet, which was kindness and grace. I hadn't even been able to extend it to myself, but I, if I didn't talk to him, I was going to kill myself because I just couldn't reconcile what I had done. And, um, I think part of that is because I, I woke up, the anesthesia wasn't strong enough. So I came to while they were still in the middle of the procedure. And at that point, it's very apparent that it's not just this simple thing that's happening, right? Um, it was just made a lot more real by that. So I would say that he definitely put me back on a path to, I'm going to stay alive, but that's kind of all I was doing. And I would say that I didn't really, I mean, I didn't get past it. It's not something that I think that you just get past. I'm not fully past it now. Um, the moment that I held Kaylin in my arms for the first time, I felt, okay, I get it. Because I loved her so much, so instantly. And I know that if I hadn't had that abortion at 19, say I'd never gotten pregnant at 19. Say I had just gotten pregnant with Kaylin at 25. I wouldn't have Kaylin because... I, in my head, I still would have thought that I had that get out of jail free card. Mm. I hadn't used it. I wouldn't have had used it. And so in that moment, I thought, okay, God, I see that this little girl was meant to be here. And I'm, I'm grateful for the path that I was on before and how things went because I wouldn't have her had I not already done that. And I remember standing on a bridge in Silverthorne and I was very adamant, you know, I'm, I'm not, I was talking to her father and I said, I am not having an abortion. I won't do it again. I barely lived through the last time. I'm not doing it again. And so the decision was made right then and there. I was not having an abortion and I, I never once regretted that decision. Um, so I don't know. I would say that here recently... And by recently, I mean the last five years or so, lots of things have become more clear in terms of God's design for everything. And so I would say I have more peace about it, but I would not say that I will ever, ever get past it. How long after that? You got married pretty young. What was the (laughs) timing of? I did get married pretty young. I was 21 when I married my first husband, Chucho. Um, I moved back home, met him fairly quickly. And I mean, I don't know. I, I can't even remember how long we dated before we got married, but I'm pretty sure I was 21 when we did get married. And then six months later we got divorced because I, uh, I, I wouldn't say that people were disposable, but replaceable. 
And in my head, I was very much a child of the divorce age. Like, mm. oh, well, if it doesn't work out, you just get a divorce, right? I mean, everybody does. I mean, I had so many friends whose parents were divorced. Everybody was getting divorced. Celebrities got divorced, like, every five minutes. They got remarried, got divorced. You know, the whole thing, like, it was just so... I didn't even think about it in terms of, I wonder if I can make this marriage last. I thought about it in terms of, if it sucks, I'll just get divorced. And so I did. And it wasn't that it sucked. He's a great guy. We just wanted totally different things from life. And I was not at all ready to settle down. Um, I thought I was because I thought at 21 I should be able to or should be ready to. I don't know. Well, what type of foundation did you have at that point in your life? I mean, you grew up at a, um, in a church and... I mean... Just where was... Were there even any thoughts? I mean, were there any... Thoughts of like Jesus? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, when you when you have that foundation. I wouldn't really call it a foundation. It, okay. I, I went to church... I loved my church and I loved my pastor and I that that doesn't necessarily equate to a foundational understanding of the gospel and Jesus and what that should mean in your life. I did not have those things. I went cuz we went to church and I went to choir because I was part of the church choir and I went to the youth group but I did not have a fundamental understanding of the Bible. And Jesus, I didn't have a personal relationship with him. I said I was saved, and then obviously I wasn't because, I mean, I literally spent years just trying to walk away from everything I thought I knew. Um, I hated feeling hemmed in. I felt like that's what it was doing to me. Mm. Um, so I didn't think about it in terms of what it meant to God or, you know. I, I never stopped believing in his existence. I simply didn't think about things as I was doing them. I just did them. I was very reactive. Um, yeah, I did grow up going to church, but it didn't mean anything. Okay. If that makes sense. Of course. So 21 and 21, right? You were 21 when you got married and 21. 21 when, when I got divorced. divorced. <laughs> yep. Um, you did a little moving around. Right? Yes. I mean, you lived in, you've talked through now, let's see, you're in Arizona. Yep. Stayed in Arizona. For a minute. After you went there with your parents. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe, though, when you were married, you were back in Illinois. I was back in Illinois when I was married. And for a little bit after I got divorced, I started dating a guy really, I mean, there was not a whole lot of space between my relationships. I moved from one person to the next, to the mm -hmm. next, to the next constantly looking for that person that was going to be my person I kept I had this thing in my head like if I could just find this one person that's going to be my person then I will feel whole I guess I would finally belong to somebody mm -hmm. and I felt like I didn't belong and I felt like I wasn't wanted so I was constantly trying to like fill that if I have if I finally find the right guy I'll be wanted and fulfilled and whole and happy and then I'll finally be happy right mm -hmm. um so I was in Illinois there and I was there for, gosh, I was there for a minute, but I guess I would have been like 22, 23, and then I moved to Pennsylvania. I wasn't there very long. I was working on a horse farm. Wasn't a good fit for me. I don't know. I got a weird vibe. It was just weird. It just wasn't. Apparently, I'm a Western girl or 
a Midwestern girl and just could not hang with the East Coast because I was out, out by Philly. So I found a job at a ranch out in Colorado. I ended up talking to um, the, the owner of it on my way home from Pennsylvania and then took a fun Hawaii trip early 2006 and then May of 2006 I went to Colorado and worked on the ranch and I was in Colorado for 2006 2007 and most of 2008 and I moved down to Arizona um to like the last week of 2008 and so how did you end up at Copper so I moved to Colorado. I worked on the ranch. I worked at a bunch of ranches. I worked on a dude ranch, a couple hay ranches, and then I got a job driving sleighs at Copper. And it was, I was terrible. I mean, like, I loved the horses and I loved driving people around in sleighs, but my boss was horrific. Hmm. I mean, like, skimming tips, putting me and my brother and my friend in, like, super dangerous positions that you just don't do with two horses that are half-hitched to a giant sleigh. You just it was bad. And the one guy was high all the time and then like driving people around. And I was like, I got to get out of here. So I end up like I had befriended some of the security guys at Copper and they really liked me. And I think part of it was probably I was a girl. So I don't know if that like, you know, I guess I don't know. I'm a, I'm a minority as a female in the security. I don't know. Whatever. They hired me for security. I was blown away. I was like, yes, awesome. And it was a really fun job. Um, and so that's how I ended up at Copper. And life shifted again at Copper. And life shifted again at Copper because I ran back into, well, I was dating a guy that I met on one of the hay ranches, and then I ended up dating one of his friends after he cheated on me, which, I mean, of all the just ridiculousness, he could have just broken up with me, but that's a different topic. Um, But I ran into one of my other friends from the same ranch who also worked at Copper, and that is Kaylin's father. And so, I mean, I was in the mode of, okay, I'm finally ready. Like, I'm, I've got a steady paycheck. I, it's time for me to get married and, you know, finally find my person. Hmm. <laughs> he was not, he was not thinking that that was his future, but I was available and we liked each other and it was fine. We had a lot of things in common. So then I ended up pregnant and... We were together for a total of like two and a half years. And then when Kaylin was seven months old, uh, I moved because it was a really, he was not in a good headspace. I was not in a good headspace. And together we were very toxic Hmm. and he was, it was bad in terms of an abuse standpoint. Um, and again, this is somebody I care about deeply. So like, I don't want people to get the wrong impression here. I'm not trying to bash him at all. He's in a different headspace now, but he was living his trauma and taking it out on me. And this was very normal for how he was brought up. And so that's just how things were in our relationship. And it got to the point where we both recognized it was an unsafe, unhealthy situation. And he let me go and I went and I moved back down to Arizona with a baby. It's wild times. So what do you do when you move to Arizona with a baby? Where do you start? How do you uh, start up? I lived with my parents for whatever the limit was. Mm, in the senior home? In the, in the 
community. You retired. In the senior citizen community, which, by the way, if you're younger than 19, you cannot live in for more than three consecutive months. And so Kaylin counted, and you better believe their neighbors were watching. Did you buy a golf cart? I did not buy a golf mm. cart, but I did ride around Shame. to my dad's. But their, their neighbors would ask, so how long's your uh, daughter staying with you? Oh, I'm sure. Notice she's got a little young one. Going to be there long? So pretty quickly, I had to move into a place. I moved into an apartment complex close to my folks because they were helping me a lot with Kaylin. Um, the house they live in now, by the way? It is the house they live in now. She lived there with them. She, yep. She sure did. Um, and... I mean, I can't even remember living with them. That's how much of a blur it was. I got mm. mono during that time, too. Mm. So I was really sick. Like, super-duper sick. Um, yeah, that was it was a mess. And before I, was, before I got pregnant with Kaylin, I was leaving him to go live in Flagstaff with Angie, finally. And then, boom, I'm pregnant, and I'm not. <laughs> and none of the things that I was going to do went the way I expected them to in that time of my life. Um, Go figure. Yeah. So I'm a single mom. I'm working at PetSmart. I am living in an apartment with my kid and my dog. And uh, I met a guy. What did you do at PetSmart? I worked at PetSmart. And then I actually met a guy who was selling dog food at PetSmart. And I ended up working for Blue Buffalo Mm. through him. And we ended up shacking up. But I wanted to get married. And he said he wanted to get married, and then he changed his mind. Why do you Why think do I... that that was always the case? That I always wanted to get married, and they didn't? Well, that, yeah, I mean, so that, because you can, you can fill a hole in a lot of different ways, and you did anyways, <laughs> right? I mean, there, there was a lot of hole filling in your dating life. Why did yep. you have to have such a finality type mindset so quickly to I mean you see how it worked it didn't work (laughs) yeah because you needed to know that you know I want to get married right away in a relationship um I never understood the point of dating if the goal is marriage and children so I always went into it with a if I didn't think it was possible for me to marry this person, I wouldn't date them anyway mindset, which was really dumb. Yeah, I (laughs) I mean, you don't know the first thing about the person when you start dating them, so how would you even know if you could or could not marry them? I don't know. See, I should have, if I could go back and do it over again, hindsight being what it is, I would be friends with people as opposed to dating them. You learn a lot through friendship. You don't need to be having sex with somebody to learn about them. I just was very society minded. Like, of course, why wouldn't I sleep with this person? Like, sure. Aren't we all sleeping with it? Like, you know what? My, my mindset was very secular and yeah, except that you wanted to marry them, except that I wanted to get married because I wanted that. I wanted somebody that would never leave me. And so I... You didn't want it... I mean, like, so... Like, I wanted to get somebody... It was more than just, like, a conscious thought, though. Like, this is something that's a repeat pattern of... Yep. I wanted somebody um, that could never leave. And I felt that if I married them... But you are... But you already learned at 21 that they 
Well, certainly, or you could. I could. I did. Leave. Uh-huh. But they couldn't. Correct. I have a lot of attachment issues. Um, and that's a whole different podcast topic, I'm sure, of core wounds and childhood wounds yeah. and unfulfilled, well, unmet kind needs. Kind of talk about them. Yeah. I mean, I, when I identified this notion, false though it was, that I was not wanted and that I had been left, right? Because that's what it became. I wasn't wanted and so they left me. I then wanted connections that would never break. And I wanted that sense of permanence. And so I sought it out. But I'm also really cutthroat when it comes to something not working out. Like if that's not going to work out, peace, I'm out. And so when Chucho and I didn't work out, I was like, it's fine. He wants different things. I'm out of here. Um, when my second marriage didn't work out, I mean, it was very just like, see you bye. There was no at long extrication process. And how long were you in Arizona before that came to be? So, um, let me think about that. I moved to Arizona in December of 2008, and I met my second husband in October of 2010. Yes, October of 2010. And then we were married uh 2012 and divorced like we were married in 2012 but our marriage was over by October yeah we were married in May I'd have to look that up but um it wasn't very long of a marriage five or six months and then the divorce was finalized the following, like, February or March. It's a whole heap of paperwork. I hate paperwork. So, so it wasn't a fast process. Mm, why are you trying to get married so quick if you hate paperwork? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, he's a good dude. I'm friends with him again, too. Mm-hmm. We, had our, we had our stuff. Um, he, was, he was struggling with addiction. I had no, like, I had no, um, I don't, I had no knowledge or education of how to help somebody that was addicted. I was still dealing with all of my own trauma, trying to raise Kaylin, working my butt off. And I was just like, ah, bye. And I feel really bad about that looking back because certainly that didn't help him. But he's also... A really wonderful human being who is now living his best life. He's clean and sober, got a great wife, beautiful children. I mean, like, I'm very happy for him because I wasn't going to be the one to help him. And I knew that, um, but there was probably a more delicate way I could have handled the situation. But so that's 2012, and divorce is finalized 2000, early 2013, and I moved from Phoenix to Scottsdale, and then I met you. I mean, I dated some guys in between there, but then I met you. <laughs> so through this, though, when you met me, mm-hmm. and I remember you saying this, you told me that like believing in God is a requirement. Yep. You had just gotten out of another very short marriage. Mm-hmm. Why was God a requirement? Well, why wasn't it before? <laughs> And what, where was that 
you know it feels kind of bouncy right mm. like it's 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 just it's you're looking for some sort of fulfillment trying to find it with guys or whatever um Like, why hadn't I had this requirement previous? Where was the, yeah, was there just no desire to have that gap or the fulfillment come from a relationship with God? Or was that new when we met that that all of a sudden became a requirement? I, I guess mm. I'm just trying to mm-hmm. figure out, like, where in the relationships before that, if they were so kind of, I don't want to call them bad, but you you know what I mean. I mean, there, were, there, was, no, there was nothing, it wasn't rooted in. No. You know, your marriage wasn't rooted in faith. It was based on whatever. I'm not really even sure. Um, So what changed? Or why was it important? So I think I had this idea in my head that if I made it a requirement of the next person that he would help me get to a deeper level of faith through his Mm. faith. And also, I knew that I knew. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. I knew, though, I, I guess I what I did was I sat down and I thought, okay, we're, we've got to set out some deal breakers because you're just dating anybody at this point, and that's stupid. you can, you got to stop doing that because it's not leading to good things. And so I made, a, I made a list, and one of the top five things with me was they have to believe in God. And I thought... I guess I would compromise if they were spiritual and believed in something. So it wasn't really God so much as need to, but it was, I really wanted it to be God because, and not because I've got any kind of discrimination for other religions, but because that was the religion that I grew up in. And I remember my mom telling me something when I was younger that finally clicked in when I was in my thirties, having the same value system as the person you marry is really important to getting along because if you have different value systems your whole life's gonna suck Mm. and so i thought all right well i'm a christian which is funny to say because i didn't know what being a christian actually meant until recently like i had different my perception of it has changed and i feel like i finally have an actual grasp of what it means to be saved i didn't then I thought that if I believed in God and the other person believed in God, then we could, then we would just be together and be this godly saved little family. I I don't know. I didn't Mm. understand because, because I had been raised in a very shallow church. I didn't get a whole lot of examples in my life like you did of what a personal walk with Jesus looks like. That's new. That's still new for me now. Right. And... Yes, I have foundational teachings that I grew up with, but they weren't cement. They were just like, I know what the Bible is. I know many of the books in it. I know some of the verses, you know, but the actual spiritual walk with Christ was not a part of my life, but I really wanted, I just knew that there was something missing. And I knew that if I went with somebody, got married to somebody that did not know God, it was going to be an uphill battle. And I didn't want to have to be the person to save somebody hmm. at all. I was like, Mm-mm, they got to have that crap figured out on the front end. You got to at least know he's alive and he exists and he loves you because I can't do all that teaching. And that was what I had. All I knew was that God existed 
because as often as I had tried to run away from him and as many times as I should have died, he was there and he never went away. And it was like I could, it's like there's always been this background music that I couldn't quite define and it's always been there in the back of my mind. And so I could never deny his existence. And as far as I tried to run, that music just would not stop playing. And I needed somebody that believed in God. But I didn't think to I didn't think to myself, I should quantify their belief in God. I should know if like they have background music in their soul too. Hmm. I just assumed that belief in God would be the same as mine. Well, if you're looking for somebody to bring you into a stronger bit of faith, you'd at that point in life come to the wrong place. I know. And if I was looking for somebody that could um, I don't really know what I was looking for, but mm. definitely somebody stronger than me and more influential in certain areas, you know, just good influence, I guess you could say. Oops. You know, someone who would yeah. <laughs> who's not easily swayed. <laughs> um Hey, what did I say? Uh, um, in certain ways, you're definitely hard-headed and strong. I am. But I'm saying, like you know, um, that'd be right. I was from a you know wake me up early perspective. Oh yeah, motivate no. me. I will you know, that's like that's that. kind of at that point in my life what I was kind of in search of. Uh. You know, um, you came off as that type of person. Um. <laughs> I think you tried to portray yourself as that kind of person. I think that's the person I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. That was definitely the person I wanted Young, to be. Young, Scottsdale, successful, single mom. Hey, I was successful. Motivated. I was a single mom. I was motivated in my own right. I just wasn't going to be your motivator. Right. I needed like Motiv- a... I'm not sure motivated was really where I'd put it, but you were doing very well. I was doing very well. <laughs> um, but yeah, we both were looking for like the same thing in each other and totally missed the mark. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are. And here we are. We're working on <laughs> nine years now we're talking since nine that, years since we started dating. That time, right? Yeah. yeah. Since we started dating and started talking. Um when do you think I mean our marriage has been interesting. Yes. Um and hard. We've lived in that very house in Scottsdale that you're talking about. Yep. That you moved to from Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, right after you got divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Kay was around. Kay was five years old. Yep. Um, and you moved in, like, right away. Yep. <laughs> but I didn't. I just stayed there a lot. Oh. And that's how that's I do true. things. That's Remember true. that whole conversation about me uh in the last episode just about like the the lack of limits and just consumption mm-hmm. you know it's like i it's like being tardy for work like i think i arrive late every now and then and then when you actually look at your um attendance chart you're late every single day like that's happened <laughs> in my life like i look at I'm like yeah you know, i'm pretty much on time and then like when it's laid out in front of you like Oh, every day. Every day for a month I've been late. All right. Like, it's different. It was literally the same of, like, moving it. Like, to me, I didn't. I had my place. My All my stuff was still at my place. Right. You were just never at your place. You were my, always yeah, at your place. Yeah, I had. That's right. 
And why wouldn't I just you? Just happened to spend every night there, but I didn't live. I didn't live with you. Like that's how my that's brain wild. works, right? It's like <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't live together. You definitely lived with me in my um, head. Yeah, and my roommate. Um, bless her heart. Was, <laughs> um, Lucky you still played the rent anyway. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, I mean, she didn't care. Right. Um, she probably loved it because at that time I was a thirty. How old am I? Thirty-two <laughs> year old uh, single guy who had just moved to Phoenix myself. Right. You know, my roommate was a, a room share that I found with a twenty-one. 22 dude she was a baby yeah ASU student Mm -hmm. who was awesome yeah god bless her still awesome yeah she's doing shout out Stephanie um so but at what I mean something with us Mm -hmm. you went into the our relationship all the way in, like everything you just talked about, mm-hmm. was thirty. Crap, Mayor, how old were you when we met? Didn't I turn thirty? We met in okay. What? You were born in eighty two. We met born in eighty three or two thousand thirteen. Yes. So thirty one. So I was. You're going to be thirty one. So be, you're thirty. Yeah. You just turned thirty. Yeah. Holy crap! I was a baby. Time already flies. Right? Yeah. God. But but what you just. St- kind of scampered through here in 45 minutes Cute it feels just so it's it's just it's like birth to boom 30 dude i found this guy <laughs> right and i could have been any one of those other casualties yeah really yeah it was the same approach yep i happened to be in the right place at the right time you were different you were that person that i was looking for from a you know personality um, lies well, yeah, and, and kind of comfortable in your own skin. I, you weren't, you were kind of like a strong, single mom, kind of get out of my way type, mm-hmm. you know. Um, didn't seem very needy, independent. I liked all those things. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, when we were talking last time, like n- nothing had been... Sorry, like we were talking about last time with me mm-hmm. and my own addictions and issues, you know, I hadn't even, I, I had no motivation to resolve any of that stuff and neither had you when we got married oh, of yeah, yours, no. right? right? So it's like all of a sudden there's just this like, and we're talking for you 30, for me 33 years, 32 years of just, it's just like a blend of your youth into your adulthood into being an idiot for... <laughs> 10 or 12 years right. and then meeting and then continuing to be idiots in our own right right but together right now even when you said there was a prerequisite of believing in god mm-hmm. I mean, at that time in my life I was like yeah i mean sure sure right. right at the most basic level yeah right somehow we survived grace of god without seeking it correct <laughs> but yeah you know we lived in scottsdale and phoenix mm-hmm. west virginia and michigan, michigan cave creek mm-hmm. and now michigan right i just lost track i was trying to count as i was saying six okay. five 
Scottsdale, Five Phoenix, houses. West Virginia, mm-hmm. Michigan, Michigan, Cave, Cave Creek. Creek. This is our sixth house. Correct. We've been together nine years. Yes. Almost. May. Whatever. <laughs> so, that in itself, I mean, just, and, and not, that these aren't neighborhoods close to each other. This is move across the country. Right. Do it again. Go back. Go back again. Type behavior. Mm-hmm. Always running from something or to something. <sighs> yeah. But it had to happen exactly like this. Right. To get to this place. Correct. But where do you, did you actually feel anything shift along the way in yourself for a couple of things? Working through the trauma in your life mm-hmm. or your faith in Jesus? Um, so in 2016, I think it was, I started going to that therapist. It was either 2016 or 17. I started going to a therapist, the one that pointed out that I was suffering from PTSD or CPTSD, which is complex, complex PTSD, basically... Um, it's not like one thing was trauma. It was a bunch of traumatic events that kind of compiled into this awesome cluster of nonsense. And so I became aware of it at that point. I didn't really know what to do about it. Um, but then when I went to Bold in 2017, it was December 2017, I had been on antidepressants. They were making me worse, and uh, I had just started seeing a naturopath, and he was like, hey, you're maxed out on these things, and they're making you like feel like you don't want to live anymore. Like I wouldn't say I was suicidal, but I just wanted to lay down and die. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to take my own life. I just hoped that God would take me. I was done. I was so done and exhausted from the pain. I was in constant emotional pain and physical pain as a result of that, you know, and it hurt and I couldn't explain it to anybody. And he said, let's get you off this garbage. And so he weaned me off of the antidepressants and I I used CBD oil for that. And it was very helpful. And he helped me get off the benzos. Um, And I mean, like, it was great to feel numbed out, right? Because I've always been a person where if the pain is too much, I just don't want to feel it. And so over the years, I tried every substance known to man um, for the most part. Like I said, I was not at all into needle drugs because I hate needles. Um, But I I tried everything. And the only thing I ever really got addicted to was smoking cigarettes. And I mean, Mm. I smoked like a chimney. But so I get off the antidepressants and then... Mary, God bless her, they they called and said, are you ready to go to Bold? And I had already heard enough about the class, and I said, Meredith, you're either going to kill yourself or you're going to go to this class and you're going to change your life because this is not sustainable. Can't live like this any longer. And so I went, and I let loose some things, and I I think that's a big part of where trying to heal from the abortion started Mm. because I talked about it openly in the class 
And it, it came to me in that class, like, why wouldn't I speak to young women that were in that position? Why wouldn't I go to them and say, hey, it's not just a clump of cells, um, but it's also like, did you, you know, I didn't have anybody to tell me that I wasn't damned for all eternity either. And so I just assumed that my life was over and I want to speak to these women. Like, how can I get in front of these young girls that are that aren't valuing their bodies, that, that aren't valuing their own souls, that don't understand the deeper implications of having sex uh, outside of marriage. Um, and there's zero judgment here. Like, I don't have any judgment for anybody um, that has had an abortion. That please don't think that when I talk about how I feel about my own abortion, that I am projecting those feelings onto other people. I have no idea what anybody else's story is or what put them in that position. I judge myself because I can, because it's it was my choice to make, and I, I feel like I made the wrong one. But I thought, what if I could find a way to help other people because of the unique set of circumstances that have been my life? And so I started to see a hope there, like maybe, um, maybe someday I could do this. And I was really gung-ho about it for a minute, and then it just kind of fell by the wayside um, because life... And I mean, yeah, I wanted to do it. I wasn't really sure how to start. And so I would say that that kind of put me back on track. I felt like I was able to approach faith again because I had very much felt like I shouldn't because of what I had done. Hmm. Like maybe I should kind of just stay on the outskirts. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of damaged goods again. Uh, what business do I have being in a church? It was always really hard to find a good church because I was really spoiled. And um, so that, I know you asked me about faith and I, I can't remember the other thing you, you asked me about, putting my trauma behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of go hand in hand for me. But even that was just so shallow in comparison to where I feel like I am now. And I would say that the last two years, everything that's gone on in the world really started to get me, I would say it kind of shook me inside. Like, hey, wake up. You know, there's so much going on and things are getting a little biblical. And, you know, maybe you should know a little bit more about that mm. Bible that you say you care so much about. And like what I don't I can't define the moment in the last two years when it happened, but I would say that maybe since the tail end of last tail end of 2020 beginning of 2021 i started to think well now does this sound like it's true biblically and i started to do that with a lot of things and like you and i were watching a show um ozarks and it's basically just porn every episode it's so well written and we love uh jason bateman that's the main character right but i thought what are we doing watching this? Like, is this really, I don't know. I started asking questions like that and I don't know that it was me asking them or the Holy Spirit saying, Hey, what are you doing? Mm. Like, why are you doing this? So I feel like God's really been, I mean, throughout our whole relationship, he's been yanking us closer, like quit screwing around with that crap over there. I keep trying to point you over here. Why don't you listen? But he's gently just guiding us back and sometimes maybe not so gently. Well, so to that effect, did you feel like, so after Bold and when you started kind of getting some of that 
like mojo back, I guess you could say. Where <laughs> actually, you know, seriously, where you wanted to be alive and yes. start being active again. And, yeah. Um, do you feel like our relationship or marriage got better? Um, in some ways, sure, because you had to stop trying to break down the bathroom door every time I freaked out. I mean, you know, but also at the same sure. time, there was still a lot of shit going on. Sorry. There was a lot of stuff going on um, on your end of things. And even though... Well, that's what, that's what I'm asking. Even though I didn't know specifically what it was, I knew something wasn't right in our marriage. Yeah. So here's, um, I mean, this is kind of the... Um, the reality and, and and I think our hope and wish in, in doing this and in, in making it something that can actually help mm-hmm. um, for me in a, such a selfish way you know it was I knew I had the things that you said you didn't earlier in this podcast so we're talking about the foundational values mm-hmm. of um, not knowing right from wrong, but just uh, the the extreme places you put yourself into because of trauma, because of um, just a need for a relationship, whatever it is. I never really had seen that type of behavior in my life. Like I had one thing that I hid that was that thing. And so I, I, I put myself in a quote unquote normal place and you in a mm. needs help place. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? you did. And then, so when you got help, mm-hmm. so for me, it was like, Hey, everything's great now. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, uh, it further perpetuated like the idea that I didn't need any help because I, since you got happy now right we could be happy yeah and we could start working on the things that we talked about working on from um i mean just general life or faith or whatever and it dug myself an even deeper hole right and just the danger of that and the i mean the way that it's just so not fair to you but it's like i'm I, I remember it. I remember I like I never thought about myself as needing help. As needing help or being a culprit in our unhappiness mm. for a second because it but some of it is too because you're so you are open about pain. You're an emotional person. That's true. Right? So it's like so it can become unbearable. Like you said hiding in the bathroom. I mean like mm-hmm. yeah, those are real things that happen in our life. Like I mean how was I to put a smile on my face at work the next day when you were in those types of places and, right. and especially the type of job that I was lucky enough to have where you know I'm trying to run an entire company and that's going on at home it's like if that were to go away and be solved life would be grand right um, I think that's completely what I completely disregarding my own um, issues and and or even the idea that I could have been working hard um, on myself and, and setting an example. And as a result of that, maybe gotten, um, you know, just kind of by proxy, you see some of those 
efforts or, or even just being open and honest with you about, hey, I have issues too. Mm. Instead of, would you please freaking figure out your issues so that we can finally be happy finally be happy and and it feeling now like it's almost been you know it was seven years of marriage eight years of being together until i guess you could say equals Mm. in the, the the place of need needing help and not and i'm not talking like psychiatric help or or you know that we're um, struggling with anything other than just help by getting grace for our lives period mm-hmm. you know what I mean like understanding that th- there's an equality here of very much so need <laughs> right <laughs> whereas you know so much of our marriage was structured in a way of waiting for Meredith to deal with her shit um I think that that is one of the things that I was most pissed off with you for Mm. when you told me everything. I was like, this bastard has been telling me that I needed to get help for years. Telling me if I could just, you know, if you could just be nicer or if you were just more positive. You could be nicer. I could be nicer. And I could probably still be more positive, but I, I like it got to the point where it didn't matter how many times I told you that it wasn't just me. I finally believed that it was me, and you, you mind tripped me so bad, just by acting that way and saying those things. I finally believed that if I could just be better, if I could just fix my shit, our marriage, you would finally be that person, that connected person that I was always looking for. Mm -hmm. And so in June, when I learned part of it, and then again in November, when I learned all of it, I was like, it wouldn't have mattered if I had been freaking June Cleaver. This guy was never going to be happy based on what I did. And for so many years, I was so like, I just have to, you just really, I got to pull your shit together, Meredith. You're not doing a good job here. You are screwing up your whole marriage and it's all going to come tumbling down. And I don't know how we stayed together through all the things we've been together through, but I just God, obviously. Um, But then once I got past the anger and I was sitting there looking at you and you were, I think you were on the Blazing Grace website and I, and God was like, he's broken just like you are. I saw myself sitting there. I saw who I was before I had started to climb out of my hole. Like I was broken. And then I thought, I killed my baby. Hmm. How is my sin any less than his sin? It's not. We're equals. And that was relieving to me because for years, like I had held you at a higher level than me. I mean, like, sure, porn addiction, whatever, like, literally, literally every guy out there is, I mean, not every guy, but you know, most of them are looking at porn. And so I thought I was, um, I don't want to say dirtier because that doesn't sound right, but I guess, like, I was more marred. Hmm. Like, you were close to white and I was like... (laughs) As black as black could be. And yep. then I realized we're actually on really even footing. And that 
a couple of things. If God had paired you up with somebody that didn't understand how deep sin can get and just how dark the world can get, I don't know that they would have stayed. I don't know that they could have understood and loved you through it. Right. But also, um, oh, now I've lost my train of thought. Uh, that because of the things that I had gone through, I was like uniquely able to forgive you because I had gone through my stuff and forgiven myself. And also that the timing had to be perfect. Because if you had come out with this in the beginning of our marriage, uh-uh. Oh, sure. I'd have left. And even a year ago. If this had come out before my faith in in God had grown a lot in the last, you know, 12 months, I don't know. I don't know if I could have, I don't know if I would have stayed, honestly, because I was still working on stuff in my own heart. And so it took a lot of all of that experience of getting closer to God and really feeling his presence in my heart and, and in this house for me to hear him when he said, I know you're angry, but I need you to forgive him right now. And I need you to love him. And then the next thought that came was, if you can forgive and love him, you'll be showing him how I love him how and how I love you. And so in that moment, and I was really angry. I think you remember probably some of the really awful things I said to you that night. And I'm sorry because I was really trying to hurt you because I was hurting, but all of the anger was just gone. And then God said, I need you to love him. And it was like, he just took a picture of love and just poured it all over me. And I was just like, so crazy in love with my husband. And I felt, I felt foolish and silly, but I also just loved you so much. It just it encapsulated everything. It was bigger than me and bigger than you and bigger than all of the stupid things we've done in our lives, individually and together and to each other. And so I would say that my faith has grown the most dramatically since that moment. Because that wasn't some... Oh, I'm super heroic and I'm going to love my husband. Uh-uh, no. I am here to tell you right now I am a broken human being and I wanted to hate you and I mm-hmm. wanted to hit you and I wanted to leave you. But God said, I need you to love him. And then he helped me do it because that feeling was supernatural. And so my faith has just been like, I don't know, exponentially it's grown because now I see how much he loves me. And I hold on to that a lot. So, yeah. So here we are. So here we are. What else about you from a timeline or introductory standpoint needs to be shared? Anything? I don't know. I mean, like, I'm, as, as, as much as we've grown in the last three months... It's like layers, right? We've grown a ton in the last three months. I've grown a lot in the last six months. I've grown a lot in the last 12 months. Uh, I still have a lot of growth that oh, I need well, to go through. Sure, right? of course we do. I'm still, I've, I suffer from a hot temper and it's, <laughs> I yell. I'm a yeller. Um, I have by no stretch of the imagination come to my fullest best self here but I finally feel hopeful like 
we can. Um, I don't know. Now that we see, we can look back and see where God's been at every turn, right? Because we have that hindsight. Um, I don't know. I'm just working on right now. And it's really hard to live in this space of not knowing and not having jobs. But I feel very provided for. Mm-hmm. And I feel like God called us to walk on the path that we're on right now. And I'm so very content to do that and to not try and make any of my own plans anymore because we screw those up every single time. And how? Mm. So I don't really have anything else. Okay. I'm sure I'll think of more things later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But. Well, cool. So the hard stuff's over. Is it? Getting to see, well. (laughs) For now. Getting to see the the reason behind the podcast is was I guess for me the hardest part yeah of just kind of um, it's not the it's 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 not the content even as much as just starting the conversation like I just struggled to Hmm. to talk through it so now that that's over I think there's a lot of exciting things that we can move on to and and get into and we start having a good time. Yeah. And I mean, we'd take any suggestions too. Maybe. Maybe. Depends. Make it good ones, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, if you listened this far, we thank you very much because I know mm-hmm. it was a long one today and I tried not to be long-winded, but that it is... It wasn't that much longer than the last one. Good. It's not my strong suit, being brief. I think you did very good. I love you. Love you too. Thanks, guys. See you next time.